You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a study of Hebrews chapter 11 in a series called Faith Lessons. As we continue to study book by book and chapter by chapter, and the chapter we find ourselves in tonight is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm excited to uh, talk to you about courage tonight. Courage, faith, and courage. We've been doing a series called Faith Lessons. What can we learn from the Word of God and the people of faith? And uh, we're going through this great chapter, and we're taking our time because there's a lot of different uh, episodes, our characters in this chapter that we're studying along. So far, we've already covered Abel. We've covered Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, pretty much characters from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We've been telling you to read along. And so we've been covering these things, and um, I would really encourage you to continue to read along. And we've been reading, we've been learning how faith has action. And when you have faith, not only do you have action or works or you're doing something, it's a belief system, a trust, so much so that you would have some action, that that action would bless your life. Faith gives you a blessing in this life. And it encourages you through the things that you have to go through in this life, trusting in someone or something. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that we're to trust in Jesus, that he's the greatest God that we can ever trust. And that trust will be tested, as we learned last week from Abraham, as Pastor Robin shared that message about Abraham and his life and how faith is tested. And so now in the chapter, in the story, in the episode, uh, we're looking to another character, and we're looking to the subject of courage, how faith gives us courage. Now, courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. It's the strength to face pain, opposition, or even grief. I was doing some research and trying to define and think about courage this week and just looking up that word, there was a little article from uh, betterhumans.com. I don't know, I've never been to there, but it was just a little snippet on the Google. You know how they give you suggestions? And I thought it was really cool. They, they define courage this way. They said, courage is the secret sauce that allows you to act despite your fears. How many of y'all need some secret sauce today? Some secret sauce. Courage gives you the ability to put aside your fear of failure, and take the first steps. Courage, it helps you overcome the fear of rejection, and it even helps you engage your stakeholders. Courage is pretty awesome, and it's a thing I think we all need to have in this life. Now, as I was reading, as I was thinking about it, I came across another story in a book that I'm reading of a guy named Thomas Carlyle. Thomas Carlyle, you may or may not have heard of him. He wrote this great work called The History of the French Revolution. You guys have ever heard that before? No? Any scholars? That's all right. Well, let's get into it. I'll tell you the story. It was amazing, okay? So this is before computers and even typewriters, okay? He was writing this manuscript, and it took him three years to write this, I don't want to say documentary. That's so like 21st century. It was an autobiography of all these events. It's history. It's history. It's this, it's this thing, and it, it, was, it was 1,500 pages, And at the end of these three years of studying this, of doing interviews, of all this stuff, compiling it together, he gave it to his editor uh, to complete the work, John Stuart Mills. Now, John Stuart Mills was to edit this book and to proofread it. So Miles put, um, Miles, John Stuart Miles put this manuscript in a basket so he can work in it at the evening by firelight because back then even electricity was scarce. But while he was away on his trip, his maid saw the stack of paper and thought it was there to help the fire. My heart just sinks right now thinking about this. The entire manuscript was destroyed by the time John Stuart Mills returned. Now, when Thomas Carlyle, the person that spent three years of his life, writing this manuscript, doing all the work, the interviews, going to hospitals, the soldiers, the generals, all this different stuff, he found out about this. He fell into a deep depression. I can't even imagine if I were to study all week this message and my, my computer just lost everything, all my notes. That would be heartache. That would just, like, that's only a few hours. That's one week. This guy spent hours upon hours upon hours. He fell into this deep depression and he drew his blinds in his house and it says he refused to eat for weeks. He didn't even look outside. He describes this event. Now, Finally, he did. And across the street where he lived, he saw a man in God's providence working. 
And listen, people, this is an amazing true story. He accounts, he said he saw this guy working on a brick wall that had been broken down in front of an old church. And for three weeks, eight hours a day, Carlisle just watched this man rebuild the wall one brick at a time. And when the wall was built, it looked as good as new. And so he said, and I quote, if this man, if he can rebuild the wall brick by brick, I can rebuild my manuscript page by page. So he began to rewrite it again. And it took him another two years to rewrite it again. Today, Thomas Carlyle's book, The History of the French Revolution, is one of a great classic historical literature pieces. This is what I mean by courage. To be able to do something because you have a faith that it's important, that you can overcome. It can help you see an obstacle and overcome it. It can give you hope in a situation. It can cause you to keep going, to face the trial that is hard, even when you're scared or discouraged to do so, like Thomas Carlyle in the rewriting of his amazing book. And when we have this faith and this trust in a great cause, vision, or person, it really directs our lives. Thomas Carlyle had this great cause, this vision, and the direction that this book is important. I need to articulate it, and I've done all this work to let the people know about the French Revolution and all the stuff that's happened. But the Bible says we have a greater vision, a greater cause, that we put our faith not in just a work of history, but something so amazing that this Jesus, he not only was in the history, but he died and rose again and is alive today. And when we put our faith in him, it enables us to do even greater things. And we are living testimonies of him. And so just as he rewrote this work and didn't give up, when we have faith in Jesus, it gives us courage to do some things where in normal situations we would be discouraged, we would be afraid, we would just be distraught, but we can look to Jesus and get hope. His faith brought about courage, and our faith will do the same. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about courage. Just the courage even sometimes not to give up. You know, it takes courage sometimes just to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep believing. How many of you guys need this courage? I think we all do because in this life, we're all going to face opposition. We're all going to face trials. We're all going to face discouragement. And we need courage. And we get that as we trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And so tonight, I want to look to you about how our faith in Jesus gives us this great courage to face our obstacles in this life, to overcome. And I hope you know that you can overcome in Christ. Man, I hope that you can look to Jesus for hope, for strength, for encouragement, that you can have courage when it comes to death, knowing that you will overcome because he gives eternal life. That you can have courage in this life right now because you could know that God is alive and he guides you and he loves you and he empowers you. You know, this is the courage that I think Paul would illustrate and talk to us doing great things for the Lord. As we've talked about faith, we're as Christians to live by faith but not by sight. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, before verse 7, it says this. So we are always of good courage. We always have this good courage, and this is the midst of him being set apart and going through trials. He says, we know that while we are away from home, speaking of heaven in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Knowing the realities of the word of God and living by God, God's word by faith gives us great strength and great courage. This is why Psalm would say, uh, the Psalms, psalmist would say in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Wait for him. Believe in him. Get your strength from him. Be strong and let your heart take courage as you wait for the Lord. And so we need to take courage in this life. We all need courage. And we hear amazing stories like Thomas Carlyle, but how do we receive it? Well, we're going to look at this passage today again in the life of Moses and see how Moses received a lot of courage, and as we learn these principles, we'll be able to face this life with strength and with courage as well. And so let's pray, and then let's get into this character, Moses. Jesus, we thank you so much, again, that we can come to your word, that we can ask for strength. Lord, we just wait upon you even now that your spirit would do a great deep work in our hearts, that you would uh, help me, God, to articulate the truths of your word. 
that we would be able to study scripture and know who you are and that Holy Spirit you would teach, you would minister, that you would bring that courage and that strength. Lord, we know that faith is a gift and so we ask God again for your grace, your favor for the gift of faith, for these lessons to be learned, not just mentally, but in our soul, in our body as we lean in and look to you and apply these to our truths, God. We bless your name. We thank you so much that we can come again to your word and we ask God for you to be glorified. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Moses in one Bible study. Wow, this was hard to study for. Now, Moses is a very well-known character in the Bible. Uh, and you can read about him specifically in the book, the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's right, four books of the Bible. In fact, he wrote the f- five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Torah, uh, the law, and we get a lot of context about this character. And I would suggest to you this week that you read Exodus chapter 1 through 20. And in fact, if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus. We're going to be in two places. I want to walk you through some passages in Exodus. Okay, I, It's so much, I don't even have it on the screen. I'll give you the references on the screen. But then we'll be in Hebrews 11 and Exodus. But I feel before we make the points and the principles, you sort of need to know the depth and the rich and what Moses was like, what he was going through, who he was. Moses is also seen in the New Testament. Don't forget about him because he actually appears in Matthew chapter 17 in the, um, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain in glory. We see that Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus before he was going to the cross. And, and we know and we realize this is a significant picture of the law and the prophets. That he was a significant pillar of the faith as we're looking to pillars of the faith like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, These key characters in the Bible. You see, God would give Moses the law and his written word on Mount Sinai. Exodus 19.20 says that the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Moses had had meetings with the Lord and it affected his appearance. It affected his whole behavior. God would meet with Moses several times. He would be a friend of God and a great leader of the Israelite people, the Jewish nation. God would use Moses to free his people who were in slavery in Egypt. You remember that last week we left off the character of Joseph and these patriarchs of the faith. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and by faith Joseph said, y'all need to take my bones with you because God's going to give us his promised land. He's given us this this promise and I believe it. And so by faith Joseph was believing for God for this great promise of a Messiah, that he would come through the bloodline of this nation, that he would fulfill everything that he would do. Remember, that's what faith is. Faith is something that we trust in what God has said. Faith is, we don't just have faith for faith. We have faith in a person, Jesus. God himself has spoken. And so what he says goes. He is a faithful God. He is true. So when you have strong faith, you really have strong faith in the will of God and what he has said in the word of God. And so oftentimes we put our faith in expectations, in hopes, in desires. They let us down and we think God let us down. But God did not let us down. He is a good God and he's fulfilled many promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So we need to understand what the will of God and the word of God says. And so the people of Israel were left in Egypt, but there was a promise to Canaan. Now, Exodus chapter 1, let's read a little bit. Let's get some context. In verse 6 through 14 of chapter 1, it says, Then Joseph died. Now remember, we're going to go to Hebrews 11. We just learned about Joseph. Joseph then, this text in Exodus says, he died and all his brothers in these, that great generation. They were a great generation. We learned a lot from them. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king of Egypt, or this new Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, because of this, in verse 11, they set taskmasters over them, over the Jewish people, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitma and Remes. I think that's how you pronounce it. 
But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. God was continually blessing his people. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. And they were bitter because they were doing this in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And on their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Verse 15, then the king, oh, we'll stop there. Verse 14. So let me give you some context. We just read it, but just to recap, Joseph died. There's a new king. They don't know the people. Multiple years happen. A new pharaoh comes and says, hey, these Israelites are growing. What if they turn their back on us? What if they join the enemies? Let's make them slaves. It wasn't going well for the Jewish nation. Now, history tells us that this is about 400 years later when we pick up. So it's not just like Joseph died and then all of a sudden there was a new king. There were new kings. Other things were happening. And so it was multiple years and they would increase and they would become slaves and have this lifestyle. And things went from bad to worse. And they were actually... uh, so bad that the rest of the chapter goes that says the Pharaoh told the midwives in verse 15 through 22 of this chapter to kill all the babies in Israel. If you were Jewish and you had a midwife, they, the midwives would, were told, kill these babies because they're just multiplying. They're going to outgrow us. And we're trying to oppress them and make them slaves and make them work. And it says that the time was of bitterness. Now, this is important to notice because as we acknowledge that, the, uh, that just because things were bad, it does not mean the promise of God were not going to be fulfilled and that God's word was not true. I want you to notice how bad it was for the nation of Israel for many, many years. The Bible says in this context, I think we read two or three times, did you notice it? They were slaves. That's not a good thing. It was bitter. They had to do brick and mortar. They do things that they didn't want to do. They had slave masters. It was a situation that was awful. And yet, God's word is always true. God doesn't, in fact, God doesn't lie. He says that he is not like a man that he should lie. This was actually a part of his plan. Their suffering, this slavery, was something that he forewarned them about in the word of God. Now, I have this on the screen, Genesis chapter 15. We looked at this covenant in Abraham of Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. But look in the middle of it, in chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, God would encourage Abraham and give him this word and this promise that Joseph would believe on and understand. Then the Lord said to Abraham, For know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. This is what we're reading about. But this took place in Abraham. And then there was Isaac, Jacob, and there was Joseph, and there was many years, and God is forewarning them the situation. He says, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come up with great possessions. They're going to be free from this, but their promise actually included some trials. You've been given many promises of Christians, but did you know that the Bible also says you've been given promise of trials as well? That just because you are going through a suffering or painful moment does not neglect the goodness of God or the word of God. God knows, and he says he's close to the brokenhearted, And we see this prophecy fulfilled as we read through the book of Exodus. Moses, in chapter 2, is not killed as a child. This is about the time when Moses would give, uh, his mom would give birth, and he was supposed to be killed. But by faith, his parents, they actually uh, saved Moses. and, And finally, after three months, draw him down the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter saw this child and saw that Moses was beautiful and grew him up as his own, as her own. But Moses identifies not as an Egyptian, but he identifies with the Jewish people. So much so, when he grows up later, in his early years, he sees an Egyptian treating a Jewish man wrong, and he kills him. He sees an Egyptian treating a Jewish man wrong, and he kills and gets revenge. He said, the Bible says he looks this way, he looks that way, and then he goes after him. Because he identifies with the Jewish people, he cares for it. Remember, 
what we learn that God uses imperfect people. God is going to use Moses, but many people neglect the fact that Moses killed someone in his own flesh. He was trying to take things in his own control. And whenever we do that, the Bible says it reaps corruption. But when we reap things of life, we need the spirit of God to guide us. And so Moses flees from Egypt in Exodus chapter 2. And he gets settled with a new wife and a career. He's like, I'm done with this lifestyle. I messed up. I'm out of here. He becomes a shepherd. And he stays there for 40 years. Being humbled. Think about it. You are a prince of the king. And now you're at the lowly of lowly watching sheep, being alone. He had servants. He could have had the identity. He could have had the pristine privilege of all this different stuff. But he said, no, I identify with the Jewish people. And he goes. He finds a wife. He's a foreigner. And he's there for 40 years. But in the midst of that, God was still working. And he heard the cry of his people. Look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 and 25. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They, they were groaning. It wasn't a good thing. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, meaning he listened, he heard. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. He didn't forget about his promise or his word, Exodus 6, 5 tells us. And he was going to use this time to humble Moses. See, he had to humble Moses in the process to become this great leader, but he, character development, I don't know if you know this, it takes a little bit of time. And so you have all these people and plans and objectives and all this stuff going on all at the same time, but yet in the midst of it, God is working. I just think about this now and how complicated life has been these last couple of years. And there's been many people that have been suffering, many people that have not. There's been many people that it's just things have just gotten complicated and weird, haven't they? And I think in the midst of it, God is still working. He's still moving. He still cares. He's still God. He heard the cry of his people. He hears us. He was near to them and he's near to us. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. He hears our cries and our groanings. Even when we cannot articulate our feelings, Holy Spirit can pray and minister to us in our groanings and we can minister to the Lord and speak to him. And so in Exodus chapter three, God appears to Moses in a story you may know about the burning bush. This God, Yahweh, I am that I am, appears to Moses and says, I wanna use you to free my people. You can read about it. I encourage you to do it this week. And Moses says, well, okay, listen, like, I can't, I can't even do it. It's interesting he says, I can't do it. I'm a murderer. He doesn't say that. He's like, I can't do it. I don't have the skills that I need. I can't speak. God's like, okay, well, I made your mouth, and I'm going to use you. And in fact, to give you some encouragement, your brother Aaron, I'm going to use him as well. So you can have a sidekick. He can speak and represent you, and I can use you. It was like Moses was given all these excuses, and God was like, no, 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 I've called you, I know you, I want you to lead the people. And so God gives him Aaron as a partner. They go out to Egypt and ask Pharaoh, let my people go, Exodus chapter 4. And this is where all this crazy stuff starts happening in Egypt. Moses is used by God to do so many great things, but God says, preemptive, just like he knows, he says, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart, and I do this to display my glory. Don't ever forget that God will receive his glory. No one could take that from him. No one can. God will not be mocked. And so God will allow things, and then he will shut things down. And there is a reason why he allows things, but when it comes to his glory and his plan, it will not be thwarted. Even right now, in the midst of people sinning and mocking him, there is a reason for that because he loves us so much, he wants people to repent. And he's giving grace and mercy. But there will be a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And people will be judged. He will make every wrong right. And Pharaoh, his heart got hardened. And he knew this. And so God said, I'm going to display who I am to these people through his sin and his hardness. 
It's interesting how we live in this broken world that's all messed up, and yet God can still get glory in the midst of it, can he? Even in the midst of sin and pain and suffering in our world right now, you can see God's glory. You can see a beautiful day and, and breathe in fresh sea, uh, ocean air, and just know, man, God made that. He set the borders. He given, given my children, my grandchildren, and these friends and love. And There's glimpses of his grace, and he is good, and he is sovereign. And so if you read Exodus chapter 7 through 10, you start seeing God work. Let's go to 7, verse 1 through 5. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Let me just read it to you to give some more context. I hope I'm not going too fast. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command to you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out to his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen. It's interesting how God can work and people still don't listen. He can speak. He won't listen to you, God says. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And we know with the prophecy of Genesis chapter 15, they would leave with a lot of possessions as well. And so as we read this story... We see Moses keep on going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. God wants and desire to be worshipped. And we need to go out here and have our supplies and our children. And Pharaoh just keeps on saying, no, 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 or yes. Ah, never mind, no. In chapter 7, we see that Moses does these acts or these miracles to actually mock the gods of the Egyptians. First, he turns the water into uh, blood. That's not a good situation. That's not clean. That's not what you want. In Exodus chapter 8, he turns, he sends a whole bunch of frogs to annoy them. Then gnats and then flies. My f kids would start freaking out. I don't know about you. Gnats, <laughs> flies, frogs, all these different things start flooding the land. And they get afflicted and, and he's like, you're going to let my people go? And he's like, well, maybe not. Okay, okay, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. Oh, no, no, it's, it, the situation's gone. It's interesting how even in the midst of that, we see mercy. And even in the midst of that right now, it's not true repentance. People don't want a consequence. They turn to God and God in his love relents to show kindness because it's by his loving kindness leads to repentance. And then they still don't turn. And so Pharaoh keeps on getting these plagues sent to his people. The Egyptians, livestock dies in chapter nine. But what's interesting is the livestock of the Jewish nation didn't die because God's like, Okay, it's not, I'm just, oh, it's just this natural thing. I have my hand on this. You are going to have all your livestock dead, but this area and my people, alive. And so he keeps on going on. Then there's boils. Jewish people didn't have boils, but the Egyptians did. Hell, and it destroys so much. So much so in chapter 10, that says locusts come and there was no green thing in the land of Egypt. You know that could be discouraging and disappointing because they're already in Egypt. It's a desert. So there's water turning into blood. There's all these things happening. And it's pretty much the people are so distraught. They're like, we are ruined. You know, bad leadership could ruin people's lives. This is what Pharaoh is doing. He's hardening his heart. And now the people are suffering, not the Jewish people, but now the Egyptians. And then in chapter 10, there's darkness. And again, it's interesting. These plagues, they were known like the Egyptians worshipped the god of light or the sun. Uh, they would have these idols of frogs and, and they would idolize these things. God's saying, I, I will not share my glory. I am greater than any idol. And we're learning that on a Thursday class that many people have all these idols and we need to debunk that and ask them, what do you mean? Who do you worship? Most would even say, well, when, when you send me, who do I say you are? And God would say, I am that I am, the great Yahweh. He is the true and living God, and he proves that to the Egyptians, and he proves that to you and I as well. It was like God was saying, I am better than any false god. 
You know, sometimes it takes hardship in our lives for us to really believe and understand who God is. For God to be God and see him that he is better, he's the only one. Well, in Exodus 11 and 12, in the height of this last and final plague, there are 10 of them. It's the death of the firstborn. God wanted everyone to know that he gives life, that he was truly God. He was Yahweh, the creator. And he told Moses and warned Pharaoh. In chapter 11, verses 3 through 15, let's read that together. Chapter 11, verse 3 through 15, there's going to be some application points. I am getting to Hebrews, but we're just doing a little survey of Moses. It's good to read the Bible. Verse 3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt so that there has never been nor will ever be again. Remember, God speaks before it happens as proving himself to be God, Isaiah would tell us. Not that a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes the distinction between Egypt and Israel. And this is one of the reasons God chose Israel, so they would worship him, be blessed, and everyone know that God is God. Verse 8, And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow to me, saying, Get out, and you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, and that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out to his land. So God spoke to them. He told them, this is going to happen. When we talk about faith, there's also a thing of unbelief. You either trust God or you don't. God gave the warning and said, this is going to happen about midnight. We're going to do this and you have to do this and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and Pharaoh, his heart was hardened and dis disobeyed. And there was this great consequence of that. This is how faith in God works. This is what we've been learning, that God speaks and we either believe or do not believe. But being neutral is not an option. Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. You're for me, you're against me. You're going to believe or you're not going to believe. And God, in his goodness and his kindness, warned the people of Egypt, warned Pharaoh, warned the Jewish people, and warned everyone, this is all going to take place. And in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 29 through 30, it says, at midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborns in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose in the night and he and all the servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. God spoke to them and they disobeyed and there was a great price. Just as God speaks to us, and when we disobey, there is a great price. But in his goodness, there were people of faith at that time that they actually obeyed, put blood on the post of their door, and the angel of death passed over. And you may know the story as the Passover that people celebrate still to this day of God's goodness because it was implemented to be reminded of the great benefit of trusting and believing in God. Now, at the end of this chapter, in chapter 12, verses 40 through 41, I do, I think, have this on the screen. It said, The time of the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years that very day. And all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. 
like no surprise, God fulfilled his word. He used Moses. And this great story of Moses was fulfilled by faith. By faith, his faith in God brought about great courage to do these great things. Now, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Because we can go so much more into Moses. And I know that I read a lot, but there's so much more. And like I would encourage you to read more about his life. But I really want to hone in on this aspect of his faith through these stories. Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 through 28, give us four simple points, application points for us that we could learn faith lessons tonight from his life. Number one, your faith impacts others. Your faith, your belief impacts others. Look at verse 23. It says, by faith, by this trust, by this belief in God, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. Remember, that was looking at chapter 1 and 2 of Exodus. By his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king told everyone to kill. If you, if you save a life, I'm going to kill you. But they were not afraid because they believed in God and knew that Moses was made in the image of God. And that death was murder. Now notice how Moses' faith didn't start with him. Just think about that. We're talking about the character. And the very first thing it says the writer focuses on are his parents. His parents. How they had faith. How they trusted God. How their lives impacted their children. So much so that they disobeyed the king that they had courage to do the right thing in the right time by faith. And because of their faith, it influenced Moses. It gave him life. He wasn't killed like he should have been. When looking at Moses' faith, it should really start by looking at God's grace. And this is important. He should have been dead. The king had had that command, but God used his parents to live by faith and not be afraid, gave them courage. And as we continue to study about faith, don't forget about the grace of God. Because oftentimes, if it's my belief or my unbelief, it's all about me. But even our faith is the grace of God. For we respond to God's loving kindness. For God has given us his word so that we can either believe or not believe. Faith is a gift, and we love because he first loved us. And the grace of God was on Moses' life because Moses had parents who lived by faith. And our faith should be a response to God's grace. Not something we do for favor, but from favor. Because we realize God is God and we are not. And we can trust in him. And he's been working even when we didn't even know it or could even respond to him. He's creator. He made us. He knows us. And Jesus taught us that our faith matters. And it impacts others. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 Verse 16, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you do these good works and give glory to God, other people will see that faith and give glory to God because your faith affects other people. And if you're living in sin or rebellion, it affects other people. If you're living in unbelief or belief, this action, this work will cause other people to either follow God or not. Now, this should encourage you, parents. We just had a whole bunch of kids leave this room. Your faith can influence your children. It could influence your grandchildren. How you live matters. It could influence your community and your city. We're exhorted in Scripture through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to teach our children the ways of God. The book of Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 would tell us to train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this principle isn't just for parents, but it's for those that all follow Jesus, that make disciples. For 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Your faith impacts others. Verse 23 we see. 
But then the next thing we see in verse 24 through 26 is your identity determines your destiny. What you believe about yourself and your identity and who you are determines your direction of your life. Look at what it says in verse 24 through 26. By faith, this trust that Moses had when he was grown up. So now he's not a child. Now it's not based off his parents. It's on him. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Although he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter through adoption. But he chose, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, this Messiah, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, the things of the world. For he was looking to the reward. What is interesting is Moses identified himself as a Jew, as God's chosen people, rather than an Egyptian. And you may say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the text tells us the big deal. At the time, Israelites were slaves. It says you would be, it would be a reproach to identify as a Jew in that time. And Moses says, no, that's my identity. That's who I am. God has a great plan and a prophecy, and I believe in that, and I want that, and I'm going to believe in my Christ rather than the things of this earth and being an Egyptian and even a prince of the king. To be a Jew meant to be a slave, not honorable, and Moses could have had all the riches of Egypt as a prince, but the Bible says he had faith. He trusted in what God said. It was by his faith that he trusted there would be a greater wealth. It was by faith that he trusted in God's promises. It was by faith that he said, God said it, I believe it. And so he chose, do you know that lady choosing to? He chose to have his identity be one that glorifies God. He denied his birthright, the situation that was pleasurable for a moment. To sin is pleasurable for a moment, it's fleeting. There's pleasure in sin, but it goes away, and he followed after God, his true father. Think about this. Sin is a rebellion against God. That's how you could define sin. Sin is a rebellion against what God has said. And because Moses had his identity as God, as his true father, he wanted to please God and obey God and not sin. Not follow after the things of the world, but live for God and enjoyment, believing that there would be great reward. So because he chose the things of God and he had this relationship with God, it caused him to not walk in sin or go against God's ways and identify himself of someone who he was not. And so that determined his whole destiny and brought about courage and strength in his life. If you think you are God, you will do whatever you want. But if you know that you are not God and there is a God and you want to please him, you will want to obey him and not sin. And whatever you think about those two things will determine your path in this life. Do you take sin as a just blow off, sweep it under the rug, no big deal? Or do you actually see sin as rebelling against what God says is true and good? And even when you don't believe it or even when you can't see it, because all, all Moses could see was the treasures of Egypt. But there was that word of God. And he had to decide. And it says he knew that there was greater reward, not in Egypt, but through the Messiah, Christ. And so he chose by faith. And this brought about a whole path. When you believe and put your faith in Jesus, you will have a destiny that brings so much blessing and it will guide your life and there will be a path. Think about how many people are living for wealth right now, for Egypt, not even thinking about what God's word has said, spoken about eternity. It is directing their life right now. But when we believe in God and what he has said in our lives, it determines our direction. God has said that you are a son that you were beloved, that you were a saint in Christ, that you're forgiven, that you have authority, 
that you can be used by God and bring glory to God. In Christ in the New Testament is mentioned over and over and over again for this reason. Because when we understand that we're in Christ and that's our identity, it brings great strength. It brings great encouragement. Psalm 77, 14 says, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. And God made known his ways to the people and they had to decide just as God has made his word known to us and we have to decide. Exodus 7, 5 says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, then I shall stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring about the people of Israel from among them. And this text says, Moses believed. He believed. It was by faith. And this identity in God by faith determined his destiny. And this principle is for us today. By faith, you have to believe if you're going to be a son or a slave. If you are loved unconditionally or you have to earn your love. What does God say? Let that determine your direction in life of your identity. Because remember, sin is fleeting and it is pleasurable, but only for a moment. Now, the third thing, the fear of God helps us conquer your fear of men. Verse 27, the fear of God helps you conquer your fear of men. In verse 27, it says, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Who is the king? Pharaoh. Don't, I'm not going to let the people go. I'm not going to let the people go. I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He had a decision to make, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Pharaoh was a visible king, but he saw someone who was invisible, this invisible king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, and he trusted in his word. And so by faith, he left Egypt, knowing that God could protect them, God would work for them, and God would use him. You know, the Bible talks about root issues, deep issues of the heart that are so important for us to understand. Things below the surface Deep issues of the heart. For example, out of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. There are things that go on that you have to decide that sometimes you just need the Holy Spirit to work so deep in your heart, to decipher and to give you wisdom. And the Bible, when you look to it, it's not just a story of Egypt and and Israel, but it gives truth and deep truths to us and principles. Understanding the deep things of God are important. And they're to be lived at. Let me give you an example. Hopefully this will help you, a practical example. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that this is the will of God that you would flee from sexual immorality. Hopefully you would know as a Christian sexual immorality is a sin. You would not know that from the world, from media, from television. It's quite normal to sleep around, to do whatever you want to do and to please yourself. But the Bible actually does say, no, sex should be involved between a man and a woman that made a covenant in marriage. But do you ever wonder why people have sex? Why they go after those things? There could be a multiple root issue, different ways and reasons why people go about doing those things. For example, some do it for acceptance and love. Well, if if I just give my body to him, he'll love me. So that's why I have intimacy like that before marriage. Or others do it because they don't just value themselves. Some people do it just because they actually don't know the Bible and think it's normal. This is what you just do. If you care about someone, you just sleep around and do your thing. Or they're just using people and just want to please themselves. Many men do that as well. You see, sexual morality is a sin, but there could be a sin behind that or a deeper issue of why you practice that sin. And people need to repent of sexual sin. But they also need to understand the deeper issues or the root issues of their heart so they can repent of those things as well. Some people just need comfort and can't handle the world and just need to be doing their thing and find hope and comfort in that. There are reasons why we do things as humans. And the Bible says it it reads us and it draws the things of our heart. And we see this root issue in Scripture of fear. This is a root issue that that we fear, men and women. We fear things, and it causes us to act certain ways because we fear things. It said Moses trusted that fearing God was better than fearing man. He feared God, and he, 
so he didn't fear man. He was able to leave, or in the New King James, it says forsake Egypt because he feared God over the king. It brought courage to his life because in the the depth of who he was gave reverence and awe to God and put him on the first place rather than putting reverence and awe to man and putting Pharaoh as king. He trusted that God, this invisible God, was a greater king than Pharaoh. And this fear of God caused him to not fear man. What you fear will direct your life as well. Why you do the things you do are important to understand, to be self-aware and to repent of these things. Because if Moses would have feared Pharaoh, the king over God, he would have never left. It's quite simple. He wouldn't have forsaken that. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't muster up the courage because in the depth of who he is, he would have feared man and he would have trusted in Pharaoh and the commands of Pharaoh. And this is why the Bible exhorts us to fear God over everything and everyone else because he is a greater God than everyone and everyone else in this world. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There are great benefits of worshiping and fearing the Lord. Think about how Moses saw God work. He got to go up to a mountain and hear God give the law and command, see God work and do all these things because he trusted and feared God. And the same is with you and I. When we have a great reverence and fear and awe of God, it will help us conquer our fear of man. And we do many stupid things. Think about teenagers of why they do what they do to just fit in because they want to be accepted and approved of man. It's easier to see on children, but it still plays out in adulthood. We do a lot of different things because we fear men and we want approval. But if we have God's approval and we fear him, it'll actually help us conquer these things that we don't want to do. Paul experienced this. In Galatians 1.10, he says, For I am now seeking, for if I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. The Bible gives us these deep-rooted issues to live life and to examine the hearts, the things in our lives, to actually conquer and overcome things. And we need to still choose and pick who will we serve. Well, the last thing we see in verse 28 as we close, your obedience to God brings blessing. Your obedience to God brings blessing. It says in verse 28, by faith, he, speaking of Moses, still the same character, kept the Passover, that 10th plague, and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Here we see Moses' faith was tested as well. Just like we learned last week, faith is tested. It was tested in Abraham, tested in Moses. Your faith will be tested as well. God had given Moses and the people instruction to do something a little bit strange, a little bit weird. It was bizarre. Hey, kill a lamb and sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and then partake in it, eat it. And then at midnight, if I see the blood, I'm gonna pass over your house and not kill anyone. Okay, it's never happened before. A little weird. Do I trust God or do I not? If they did this, God would not kill the firstborn and the blood of the lamb would save them. It wasn't a very hard thing to do, but it did require faith. It wasn't a very hard thing. Everyone could have done this in the nation of Israel because they had livestock at that point. They had the resources. They had the opportunity but they needed the faith to be blessed. A lot of people have the opportunity and the resources to follow after God, but it still requires faith. They had to trust God of what he said, take the lamb, eat it, and, and, and partake in this sacrifice, which would even be a blessing and a good meal and fellowship for them. And so it says, Moses kept this Passover, sprinkled the blood, he trusted God, and he was rewarded because his obedience brought blessing. And we know, looking at it on this side of the new covenant, 
What a beautiful picture this is of the gospel and why God would do that. Oftentimes when God tells us to do weird and strange things, like, I don't know, a sabbatical for three months, you think, why in the world would someone do that? What is going on? What is this? What? But it's often at the end of it or on the other side of it that we see. And on the other side of it, we see the Passover is a beautiful picture of the gospel. As we're told that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And as we partake in him and are covered by his blood, we are saved. It doesn't take much effort on your part. You don't need to have resources. You just need to have faith that you were saved by grace. Trusting God will do the work and do what he says. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 53 and 54, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of my flesh flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He would go on and Jesus would refer to this blood this blood and this flesh as his body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. And as we're covered by his blood, the Father passes over us and saves us. But we must believe, as Moses believed, to be blessed. And so once again, we see many incredible faith lessons as we look to this person of Moses. But let me just remind you as we close, Jesus is so much better than Moses. Don't get caught up in all the characters because Jesus is greater. That's what the whole writer of Hebrews is talking about, that Jesus is greater than angels, that the Messiah is greater than this person and this sacrifice and this person. As we look to these characters, it should cause us to look to Christ as well because throughout the Bible, the Moses represents the law. He represents doing, and doing will not save you. Trying harder and being better does not save. That is not the good news of the gospel. It just points us to our sin as a mirror, the Bible says. And as we look at Moses, we see this person that's not perfect. No matter how high, how hard, or how much he would try, he would fall short of God's glory. And he would blow it time and time again, beating a rock, misrepresenting God, killing someone. So why is he the hero? Because he had faith in someone greater than himself. God can use you because you have faith in someone greater than yourself. Not that Christian, you are perfect, but you have faith. And Jesus is better because he fulfilled the law and now gives you his righteousness by faith. And through grace, you are able to be saved and have a relationship with him. As we look to him, we see true freedom and grace. It's not a try harder, do better gospel of salvation. It's a continual trust in God and his word. And by faith, we are now blessed. We now receive courage. We now receive joy and salvation as we wait upon the God for him to do the work and not ourselves. As we trust in Christ, not the law of Moses, we are saved by God's amazing grace. And it causes us to praise him, to worship him, to celebrate and to enjoy as we partake in the work that he did. And so we'll end with that. I told you it was long. But hey, man, I only got a couple more Bible studies to go, so I'm just giving it to you. But what I want to do is in this last five minutes, close our service and partaking in communion, remembering that God's grace is for us. We're going to sing one simple song. We'll partake in communion. The elements of the bread, uh, the, the bread and the juice are on these sides of the aisles. By faith, I want you to, as we sing, stand up and grab one and take it back to your seat. Because when you do, you're realizing and recognizing that Jesus is better, that he is your Lord, that he died and rose again for your sin. And we remember God's grace and we celebrate that. And as we do, it's from faith to faith that we continually look to him and enjoy the blessings of God, this great gospel, salvation, God himself. You can know him and the Bible says eternal life is found in him. So when you partake in him and believe in him, you have life, you have strength. And God will give you courage to live this life, not only for now, but for all eternity with him. And so let's pray and let's partake in communion. Lord, we thank you so much that you give us courage, that, Lord, you can be trusted. And so, uh, Lord, with the longer study tonight, we know that there's so much more that we could have studied. But, Holy Spirit, we trust in the word that you gave us tonight, that we would respond, that we would look to you, We wouldn't move to the left or to the right, but look to you and your salvation. 
And so, God, as we just trust in you and take this time to reflect, may our hearts rejoice and and celebrate, Lord, that you are able to pass over us with life and goodness and give us your righteousness because you did that work. We pray, Lord, for those that are watching that don't know you, that they would put their faith in you. We pray, God, for salvation, that you would continue to bring people in this church to hear the gospel. And, Lord, we pray for our own hearts, God, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, knowing that it brings great strength to our lives for here and for all eternity. So be glorified, be blessed as we look to you. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.